the amount of love you can give yourself is what you need. I don't require love from other people, which means that if I give, I don't expect in return. I give with no expectations. I give because um, it feeds my soul. The question is, how can you deal with these expectations, which are a virtual bar in your head that the other person doesn't know it exists? Can we unlearn a learning? You cannot unlearn something you know already. However, when you shift your learning and you learn something new and you open up your mindset, what happens is the way you feel and the way you see things actually change. People, they take the word failure as a negative thing. However, the word failure is just one way of not working out. Definitely. I would not quit something I love unless it's something I hate. <laughs> Then I would definitely quit. And sometimes you need to pay to learn just like you go to school or university. Hi, I'm Laure Sejan, a former HR director turned into a pro makeup artist and a beauty editor. In this podcast, I want to share another way of looking at beauty from the outside and from the inside, from people who create beauty trends to people who help us feel better within our body, from sharing my experience with some beauty products to digging into new ingredients. Welcome to Beauty S'il vous plaît. Okay, so here we go. Um, Today, I'm having a special guest. I'm having Maïs Mohamed. Um, she was born and raised in the UAE. And um, I feel that she had already many, many lives. Um, and, and she will talk to us about, about them. She started as an interior designer. And today, she's styling souls, um, as she says, by being a master life coach. In this episode, we will talk about May's expert view um, on how to deal with failure, how to accept them rather than to shy away and not talk about it. And this, this was something coming from um, one of my followers. And I felt that you know, Mays would be the perfect, perfect person um, to talk about it with us today. But we will also talk about her experience as a breast cancer survivor and in the perspective on how did she keep her femininity during this uh, experience. So Mais, thank you so much for being with us and being with me today. Um, that was just a short uh, introduction, but how would you describe yourself, Mais? First of all, thank you so much for this really nice introduction. Uh, and uh, I think you, you really outdid yourself with how you described me. Um, how would I describe myself? That's a lovely question because a lot of people, if they come to ask themselves that question, they would really pause for a second and think, how would they really describe themselves? And uh, if I were to describe myself in one simple word, it would mean, I would just say love. I'm a person that 
loves love, loves to give it, loves to have it, <laughs> loves to spread it. So I think love cures all and heals everything. And it's uh, it comes in all shapes and forms, whether it's friendship, family, work, passion, uh, life in general. So I'm a person that um, you would describe me as loves love and filled with pretty much hope because like the necklace I wear too. <laughs> so hope and love is what I go by. Um, while doing my research uh, on you, I mean, this is what, you know, you're saying as well on your website is you never give back enough. And, um, and I feel it is an amazing philosophy because that's true that, you know, we, I feel, or I mean, I feel that I'm receiving a lot and I could always give more than what I'm receiving. Um, and it's part of love. As well, you know how how you were uh, how you were saying it, and and on top of it, um, so the person who introduced us uh, was uh, or is uh, Soraya Shaoki, and uh, and that's true that you know when I first contacted you, you were like super enthusiastic, and you said yes, you know happy to be your guest, and I was like oh wow, like you know it's. <laughs> <laughs> So much love for of course she's um special person to my heart and uh and yes like like you said I mean the minute you called me I didn't hesitate twice because supporting others um means a lot and uh, you mentioned something you feel like giving I mean I, which is true I I feel like I never give enough because the amount of love you can give yourself is what you need. I don't require love from other people, which means that if I give, I don't expect in return. I give with no expectations. I give because um, it feeds my soul. You know, when I see other people smile, I get energized. So it's kind of selfish if you come to think about it. <laughs> uh, it's selfless, but selfish at the same time. Uh, selfless because I'm giving and selfish because I'm feeling great in the process of giving. And when I say giving, I mean, not financially, it's it's more of uh, mentally, spiritually being there physically, or even just giving my time uh, for that person. So, so I think that is never enough. You know, you can give so much to everyone. Yeah, that's true. There's one thing that uh, you were saying about um, uh, the expectation uh, and this is something that I learned throughout the years. And maybe only that I realized, you know, in my 20s is not to expect anything. I don't want to say like from anyone, but the more that you expect something, um, the more chance you have to be disappointed. And this is funny you mentioned. Yes, go ahead. No, and, and this is what I learned, you know, each time I was expecting something uh, or, or someone to do something, I was always, always disappointed because it was never what I was expecting or the level, it was not reaching the level of my expectation. And this is exactly what I was, you know, saying to one of my sons yesterday is don't expect the person to give you something because otherwise you're going to be disappointed. Just be happy to see the person. And then if the person gives you something, then you're happy. Otherwise, you know, it's fine. It's it's, uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, very soon, hopefully, 
I don't know whether this year or maybe the beginning of next year, but I'll be publishing my book and it's called The Game of Expectations. Um, and it speaks about this particular problem, which uh, I think would be for another podcast because it's a whole program on its own. But if if I were to say in a nutshell, um, why people have issues with expectations and the reason I called it the game of expectations is because like exactly like you mentioned, most people say don't have expectations so you don't get disappointed. But reality is expectations is just like our thoughts and it's part of our thoughts. It's something that you cannot get rid of. It's a part of your being. The minute you wake up in the morning, you have a list of expectations You expect to get to work on time. You expect to um, even wake up to your alarm. So those list of expectations are intertwined within your within your mind, and you cannot get rid of them. So the question is, how can you deal with these expectations, which are a virtual bar in your head that the other person doesn't know it exists? So whether you expect something from someone, that's in your head, and you have it right here. So if the person gives you a little more. That's above your expectations. If they give you just under that bar, it didn't meet your expectations. So it's a very tricky game. And the the thing that I would like to say, and we don't want to get too much detail into this topic per se, but because this bar is virtually in your head and you've placed the level of where you'd like it to be, you also have control on how the emotion plays a role in your body. Because what you expect to feel you can create and generate that emotion towards yourself without actually getting the final outcome in the reality that you've created, if that makes any sense. But uh, maybe, yeah, maybe someday I'll come on a second episode and we'll speak about uh, expectations. <laughs> Definitely, because I feel that emotions has a big part into how we feel, obviously, about ourselves and how it is transcripting from the outside so how we yeah. how we look um yeah definitely this is this is for another episode <laughs> yes <laughs> yes it is it's a long topic <laughs> exactly yeah. so uh, as uh, a life coach or a master life coach you know in what are you specialized into so you know you don't get enough of learning um Definitely neuro-linguistic programming is one of the biggest parts that, uh, that I wouldn't say specialized, but pretty much, you know, take take control of change that comes from this learning from NLP. There is, of course, uh, techniques such as hypnosis, timeline paradigm, uh, shifts of mindset, well-being, and all that goes into uh, coaching, whether coaching or master coaching uh, with different techniques. And um It's really to cleanse everything, all negative emotions, whether it's negative limiting beliefs or whether it's past traumas, phobias, fear, um, anger, sadness, hurt. So all of these emotions we were not born with, we learned them along the way. The only default emotion that we were born with is joy. Everything else is a learned emotion. So we learned how to become angry, how to become sad, how to be afraid of something. Uh, some people say it's genetics. I would say that it's connected somehow as a learning, whether in your mother's womb or whether, you know, uh, you were a soul someplace else and some other time, you know, where you've learned these things and they pass on. So can we le unlearn a learning? 
you cannot unlearn something you know already. However, when you shift your learning and you learn something new and you open up your mindset, what happens is the way you feel and the way you see things actually change. And the famous saying in quotes says, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Yeah. I read this, uh, I yeah. think just yesterday. Uh, and it's like, we're, nice, we are connected. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, see, the telepathy. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so you mean that you are teaching or showing, I don't know, are you showing the path to others on how to look at things differently? Um, yeah, I mean, everything is a learning at the end of the day. So um, I would say that, of course, I would teach them. At the end of, uh, coming to think about it, there's no magic wand. Me or anybody in this universe has, I wish there was, where we say change and the change happens. Change happens from within. And the only way you would be able to do that change is by actually taking the step forward into learning the process. It's exactly like learning how to drive a car. When you want to get into a car and you want to learn your first steps, it's a very overwhelming process. You're like, oh, there's a signal, there's the pedal, there's the petrol, there's the gear. And it's just so much is happening at the same time. And the instructor that's teaching you is sitting on the passenger seat And they will guide you and tell you step by step what to do. However, you're the one that's in control. And it's exactly the same thing. As a coach, I guide my clientele onto how they can run their mind and their brain and their emotions. However, they're behind the steering wheel and they're the ones that are driving the, their life forward. At the beginning, the change might seem like, I don't know what I'm doing. But the minute they know how to change, which is the process of learning, It runs on autopilot, which is what happens when you learn something new. Like when you learn how to drive, maybe the first two, three days is good or the month, it's a bit hard. However, the minute you learn it, you become pro, autopilot. You start eating a sandwich, doing your makeup, talking on the phone, and you get to your destination. You don't even know or remember how you got there. And it's exactly it. When you learn how to, know, how to control your emotions, how to become happy, how to shift beliefs, it starts running itself a computing system. It's a magnificent machine, I call it, a magnificent machine that the minute you rewire and reprogram that mind of yours and you allow it to run on autopilot, you're good. But that doesn't mean that once you're done changing and that's it, you're done. Change is constant. We constantly evolve. We constantly change. And And we're living our lives every day. So we're introduced to different traumas every day, or we're put in an environment that might be a bit stressful. So it's all about how to learn to deal with these situations when they come to you with the minimum damage possible mm -hmm. and creating possibilities instead of closing the doors down. So I hope that kind of explains how I direct my clientele into getting them where they are today. How long does it take to change someone's habits into a new habits or into a new way of seeing things? Um, let me tell you something. It's like telling me how long will it take for someone to quit smoking? It can take one person five seconds. It can take another person five years. It all starts with the decision. So there's no time per se that I can say that to get rid of a habit, we'll do two sessions and you'll be done. 
it really depends on the person's will and their genuine want for the change. And if they really, really want to change, like if it, if, like I say, I'm using uh, cigarettes as a, as an example, because this is what you see. Person goes like, I'm done. They get the pack, they crush it and they never look back. And then you have someone that's putting patches, chewing gum, and they're like, okay, I cut down five, six. <laughs> so, and you'll see that the ones that do the patches with the gum, they never end up quitting. And the reason why is because they haven't made up their mind. They haven't taken that decision yet. So change is easy when you make a decision. So even changing a habit can be instant if you choose to genuinely change the habit, because the actual process of rewiring and changing that decision of yours wouldn't take more than a session. I as a coach, we'd show the way, but as a, as a client, they would need to take the biggest step, which is a decision to change. Are there triggers to make this decision? I mean, do you see like, um, the, the same trigger, not the same trigger, but, um, Um, how do you say the same approach that, you know, someone, you know, one day we say, okay, so this had triggered for the person to make a decision to, for instance, like, you know, quit smoking, for instance, but it can be like, yeah, a, a trigger could be different from one person to another as a, um, whether me as a coach or whether you, or whether anyone, uh, around our friends and well-being, of course, we'd always want people to change to the better. However, uh, is there a certain trigger that can change them? Of course not. The only thing that I can say is being influential on, on the way you speak, but not directing them as in you have to change, you know? Uh, nobody has to change unless they want to change, unless whatever they're experiencing is causing pain towards themselves. You'll find a lot of people that live great lifestyles, healthy, fit, They still drink, they still smoke, they still party, they still do all of that. And they're happy that way. I won't be able to come and say, you have to change that. However, when you listen to podcasts or, or speeches, sometimes these people become very influential to other people. And when you hear something, it's a split moment where you go like, I think I need to change. So I guess it really is, there's no specific exact trigger for each person and every person is different but if you know how to get through their filters and speak the right language maybe you'd be able to impact their decision like to be a little influential on it mm. we, we we've been a bit uh, off the track but uh it's i'm always interested you know to uh when we when we talk, start talking about something then i always have like some questions but to go back a <laughs> bit uh, <laughs> backwards um How made you, um, I mean, uh, what has been the reason for you to change from being an interior designer to being a master life coach? Uh, but you're also a TV presenter, a radio presenter. You also have your own podcast. Uh, so doing, you're doing so many yeah. things, but what happened? <laughs> yeah. Why did you change career path? <laughs> uh, uh, one word, passion. So uh, I studied interior architecture in university. It was not a passion. It was, uh, honestly, I, walk, I, I joined university. I was a business finance major. After one year, I got bored. I realized it wasn't for me. So I, I changed my major by closing my eyes and I just pointed. And whatever came up, I just, <laughs> I just joined in. So interior architecture was really just like 
I just I I blindly chose it. And and when I and I did great at it actually. And the reason I did great was for I really thanked the dean of uh, interior design at the university for doing that because I remember when I changed my major, he asked me why interior design from business. And I told him I just closed my eyes and I pointed and this is what came up and and I just want to change my major. Yeah. <laughs> and he said it's it's not an easy major. You need to be passionate. I said what do you mean it's not easy? And he said, you're not going to be able to do it if you don't have a background or if you're not sure about it. And, and I said, you know what? Challenge accepted. And I'm a person that likes challenge. So as a challenge <laughs> towards uh, the dean, not only did I graduate, I graduated uh, winning one of the top designs also. Wow. I awards for it. And I did fantastic. But honestly, I hated the major. <laughs> I did not like it, but it was a challenge accepted. And I, I graduated in, in the worst year possible for interior designers, which is 2009. It was the peak of crisis. So at that time, it was th the job of an interior designer or an architect was almost null. Like nobody was taking designers or architects, you know? So I decided to open my own business. And very young, I was uh, uh, 21 when I first opened up a business, but I did really well. The reason why I opened it is because I said, you know, everybody's in a crisis. So I'm sure there's a lot of projects just lying down there. I'll come pick up everybody else's mess, which I did. I did that for two years and it was the most miserable two years of my life. I, I don't think I could be more miserable in those two years. And I realized at that time, that was the epiphany that I had, that money does not buy happiness. I would get contracts and money that I didn't expect to get at the age of 21 and 22. But I was like, I'm not happy because I was so frustrated at work. I, I so, hated going to work. I hated the site. So you had your own company. You were successful. Yeah. But you were not happy yeah. about what you were doing. No. no, no. Not happy with what I was doing. Not happy with them. Even though the money was good but money doesn't buy happiness. So that was the time I took a decision that I need to follow my passion. I need to find out who's mace because I realized that nothing was making me happy. So I decided to close, liquidate the company, close it down and start from scratch. And uh, I was always as a young girl presenting, whether events or a small TV show. As a child, I was on one of them. As a teenager, actually, I was 16 when I first went on TV. And I said, you know what? I can continue presenting events, like emceeing, hosting events. And let's see where that goes. But that's a seasonal thing, not a permanent thing. And as I went in, advertising, different other stuff that I never mentioned, because if I did, I, I pretty much did everything. You know, I'm trying to find out what do I love? And media, definitely, I do love. It's a passion I've had since I was a child. So, and I... and. Presenting is it runs in my blood. I don't even need to study it to know that this is something I love to do. I love to talk. And I did. I ended up becoming a radio presenter. And I was really good at it. And then I became a TV presenter. Also good at it. But I wasn't happy. And I got followers on Instagram. I got people saying hi to me. And I was still not happy. And at that point, I knew I was in trouble. Because yeah, I was sorry. like, okay, so I got the job that I always wanted Sorry, can I ask you a question? Yeah. How, how did this unhappiness translate to you? Empty. I felt empty. I felt like I didn't have a purpose. 
Like this is okay, great. I'm having fun. But it's like, you know, when you go out for coffee with friends, it's fun. You know, you come back, then, then what? You know, if you don't come back home to having something to do or family or kids or, or a hobby or a purpose. And I think somebody, anybody, if you don't have a purpose in life, it's, it's devastating, which is, by the way, one of the main problems most people come to me for is they lack a purpose in their life and they feel like they're just zombies and they're robots. They just wake up every morning on a routine. They go and they come back and they just repeat. And that's the person without a purpose. They don't have that, that passion that wakes them up in the morning. It's like, this is where I want to go to. I want to change. I want to do something different. I want to make a difference. And I just felt empty. Like I didn't have a purpose. Like I was entertaining people, but I didn't have a purpose. And I signed up to find out who I was. I signed up for life coaching, not to become a life coach, but to find out who I was. And it was the greatest shift of my life when I did that training. And at that time, I said to myself, it would be selfish for me to keep this information to myself because I was certified. How old were you at the time? When you did this uh, life coach certification or, <laughs> or workshop, uh, I don't know. Uh, I think I was in my 20s, somewhere in my 20s. So it's it was a while young. back. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you, I mean, yeah, you I was were, young. it was young. Yeah, you were young. Yeah. Mm, mm. Yeah, I was very young. Um, I was very young, but I wa- I'm a curious kid that always wanted answers. Like since I was a child until this day, I'm a very curious person. Like I need to know why, why do we feel the way we feel? Why uh, do people act the way they act? Why do people do what they do? So if I don't get answers, I would stay up all night trying to figure it out. So life coaching was one of the answers that I got. And when I figured out, you know, the key to to happiness, I didn't want to stop there. I wanted to share it with the world, but I also didn't want to stop media. So I decided to combine the two together. And that's when I started uh, presenting shows on, whether on television or whether on my social media platforms, everything related to techniques and ways to solve certain problems, whether it's releasing stress or whether shifting a mindset or shifting an emotion. And I've been doing that for many years now. And I feel like every day, if I can give more, I would because it's never enough. And when I just get one comment from one person, that's, I'm talking about social media, not my clientele, that says, thank you for this video. It really, I really needed it. That on its own, just energized me and gave me like energized my purpose and just like, okay, I need to do more videos or, okay, I need to do more. I need to give more. And today I can finally say, I'm, I finally found myself. And I think that's something everybody should feel. They need to find themselves. They need to enjoy their own company, enjoy being with themselves, accepting themselves, loving themselves. And you become like an iron shield when you become your best, your own best friend, because anything that comes along your way later on, dealing with it will not be that hard. It will be hard, but not that hard because you have your best friend, which is you 
stuck by you. So you know how to deal with it. I I feel, you know, um, being or feeling that you can be your own best friend is not an easy thing because it also means that you love yourself. And, uh, And I feel that loving yourself is so difficult um because i believe you know we can always see things oh i haven't done this no properly or or why did i do that or i don't like the way that uh, um i am um and and i feel we oh okay i don't know if it's i don't like to always use like we because i could always say i but i'm always more I would say nicer or kinder with others than with myself. And I, I'm sure I'm not the only one no, uh, like, um, in that situation. Uh, but how, how do you become your own best friend? Are there tips that you could share with us? Um, let me uh, give a small tip, yes. So I usually tell people, how do you treat your loved ones? Like uh, whether sister, best friends, mother, father, usually all the answers are the same, which is with love and care. And when I ask them, if I were to bully them, uh, swear at them, hit them, abuse them, mentally abuse them, not physically, would that be okay? They said, no, of course it's not okay. And I would ask, why isn't it okay? And they always answer the same question. What do you mean why? Of course, because I love them. I said, if it's okay for you, like if it's not okay for you to bully and abuse mentally the people that you love, why is it okay for you to be your own bully and mentally abuse yourself? That doesn't make sense. That's very hypocritical. When you say, I need to make sure others are okay. What about you? It doesn't make you selfish or a narcissist. It's exactly like when you get on a plane. They give you the most sensitive picture, which is a mother and a child. And they tell you the oxygen mask. They always say the mother has to cover her mouth first and then she can help the child. And the only reason why is because you cannot help others if you can't help yourself. So it's not about being selfish. It's about being in the proper mindset in order to be able to give and to love without being drained. Because if you're giving, 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 and you don't know how to give yourself. The only thing you're giving yourself is being abusive by looking at yourself in the mirror. I'm ugly. I'm fat. Um, all these abusive bully stuff. And it's funny because we see all these campaigns, anti-bullies, anti-this. Is the person that is their own bully. They bully themselves every day. Yeah. They tell themselves, they, they look at all their flaws. They look at all the disasters in them and they kind of pick it out. So if you want to be your own best friend, it's first step and the first tip is start actually treating yourself like you would treat your best friend so treat yourself as you would treat others that you love the same way you treat others that you love you need to treat yourself and i think by that you would be able to kind of build a relationship and of course there's a lot of other things that go by it you know of course getting rid of beliefs and all of the shebang bang that goes with the coaching <laughs> but uh, but this is a small tip yeah this is a small tip that i think you know if it might if this sentence really can impact someone i think this one is the one that really touched my heart yeah um to to go into uh, what we were 
what I want to uh, to to go into, like you know, in, in the sense of the the failure and the feeling of failure. Um, I was having a, a coffee the other day with a friend, um, and she just uh, quit her job because she she went into a burnout. Um, and uh, and we were talking about you know, our experiences because I did a burnout like a few years ago as well. And when she was talking to me, um, I felt that you know we had a similar experience in the sense that she didn't want to quit her job because for her it would have been like a failure. Uh, and obviously, like you know, failure can be like in different uh, situation. It's not only you know when you are when you don't want to quit your job because you know you're feeling the pressure or you're feeling that you cannot do it like anymore. It can be like in many other like situations. Um, but how how do you define failure as a coach? The, the only way I can define failure is when you quit and give up. That means you failed. That's okay. the only time you can fail is when you give up. Other than that, you are constantly learning. We're looking but, at Thomas Edison, 99 ways, or was it 99 ways that are not how to do a light. <laughs> and that one way he figured out is the right way. 99 wrong ways of opening up a light. So you don't fail until you quit. Quitting is when you fail. Is it a bad thing? Everything. No. What, quitting or failing? I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, quitting, yes, for sure. Of course, if you quit something, it is a bad thing, of course, because you haven't tried everything. I mean, of course, it's bad only when you're quitting something that you genuinely love and it's a passion. But if you quit something you hate, no, be my guest, quit, you know, because you hate it anyway. But if you're quitting something you really want to do, like uh, a certain business or a passion or a purpose, of course, quitting is a big mistake. Why? Because you haven't tried all the ways. And every time this way doesn't work, it teaches you something new and something closer to how it might work. So you're always learning. Every time you fail, I'm going to put that in that way, fail, because people, they take the word failure as a negative thing. However, the word failure is just one way of not working out. And then now you know another way, which also might not work out. So you can fail trials many times, hundred times, thousands of times, but eventually you're going to get it right. So it's all about like when they say you really failed, like that's it, you're failed, failed. It's not when you mess up and it doesn't work out. It's when you quit and give up. Because the minute you give up, you're not giving yourself a chance to actually say, what if it does work? What if there's that one way that you still didn't try yet? So definitely, I would not quit something I love, unless it's something I hate. <laughs> then I would definitely quit. Do Do you feel that uh, people are ashamed to talk about failure? Some, some are ashamed, and uh, of course, that's a problem that we see. They They feel like if they spoke about the things they did wrong, it might make less of them. But that's some people. I can't say all people. Uh, some people, they don't speak about it because they feel like it might impact their image or some people, it 
they all have different perceptions of it. You know, that's the beauty of the human mind. Everybody reacts to the word in many different ways. There's not one definition of failure to one person. It might mean something to me that's completely different to you or to someone else that's watching this podcast right now. So should they be ashamed? Of course not. Of course not. It's like saying that you're ashamed if you take a class and um, you get a B and not 100%. Like, what are you ashamed about? You know, you just found another way. Being persistent, being assertive and you're insisting that you want to do this and you're going to do this is actually motivation for other people. It's inspirational for other people. Today, we look at figures that we're inspired by and all their stories. There's that one thing that is the common denominator and it's that they never gave up. Either they started in the garage of their home or they started on the streets or they didn't have money to eat. And then all of a sudden they became multimillionaires and billionaires. Not because they got lucky. They worked really hard and they failed hundreds of times. And that was the secret to success. The secret to success is they failed over a hundred times, but they kept going until they found the actual key that opened that door. So I really hope people actually take that in. They, they, shouldn't, they shouldn't be ashamed of it. They should be proud of it. Um, Mace, I mean, can I ask you a personal question? And, and, and you're allowed like not to answer it, but have you had failure like in your career? You know, you have done so many things, you know, you, you're successful. Um, and I mean, have you had time where you felt like a failure or like all the time, oh, all the time, <laughs> all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's countless, honestly. The amount of times I've failed, I can't even tell you. I, I can't count them. It's just ridiculous. Even the first time I entered media, I, the, the, when I applied for radio and for TV, they said, you don't have the voice for it, ironically. They said, you don't have the voice for it and you don't have the face for it. And I was like, what? Okay, but today I run a successful podcast and a TV show. The question is, did I fail along the way? Many times until I learned how to get to the tonality that people wanted, the, the you know, character that I have to be myself and how to be in front of the camera the proper way, you know, in order to be better. Uh, my paddleboard business, I still fail at it, you know. <laughs> every week I give classes and every week I fail at something and I learn something new. Uh, my coaching, you know, can I say that I've, had a hundred percent success rate with everything. Of course not. That wouldn't make sense anyway. I learn from my clients. So sometimes things don't work out or a technique doesn't work on them. Does it mean that I said I'm failure? No. Yeah, I failed that time. But the reason I failed is because I learned something new because this technique didn't work on this client per se. And in this way. So I had to learn how to figure out a different way that would adapt to that kind of person. So I'm constantly learning on how to make things better, whether it's my coaching or whether it's TV, whether it's podcast or even interviews, by the way. Like I would look back at my interviews four or five years ago and I'd be like, oh my God, what was I thinking? You know, like, why, why would I say something like that? <laughs> and, and today, I, you know, I might still criticize myself positively, you know, as uh, was called, you know, uh, constructive criticism and uh, in order to become better. 
you know. So I'm not criticizing in a negative way, but in a constructive way, in order to to become to learn something new, to become better. So yeah, to answer your question, I'm the queen of failure. <laughs> but how how do you overcome them? I mean, could you give us like an example of like a time you know you failed and how what was the 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 process the, the the thought process that you had to overcome this failure okay so i tend to think because knowing step number one is because if i'm going to tell you what i do people might think i'm crazy so let me go back to step number one before i tell you what i do okay <laughs> so step number one is acknowledging that failure is a learning curve and sometimes you need to pay to learn just like you go to school or university So when you go to school, you pay. When you go to an institute, you pay. And I don't see anybody complaining and crying that they paid for school, except the parents that complain and cry. But <laughs> it's something normal. It's a part of life. You pay, you pay to go for an institute or learning. And it's exactly the same thing in life. We pay a certain price to learn certain lessons. However, for some reason, people take the lessons of life in a very stressful way, but they don't take intuitions of school schooling and books in a very sensitive way. So when I fail, um, obviously, usually failure comes with a price, whether you pay the price of losing a job or uh, uh, having to spend more on a business or losing money in a business, you know, you fail in some, it usually has a price to it. And every time I end up paying that price to a certain situation, I smile and I remind myself, I just paid a new course. I just paid for a new learning, you know, and I better ace it next time. Next time I might get a D, I might fail again, you know, but I pay for another class until I get it right. And then maybe that one day I start getting paid you know? <laughs> instead of paying, paying, paying. But, um, but it is what it is. So I smile, honestly, I don't really take it to heart so much. Um, and, and money comes and goes at the end of the day. You know, you, you make some, you lose some. So uh, I'm no multi-billionaire or millionaire, but I don't have any attachment to anything. So the minute you lose that attachment to finances or to, to materialistic stuff, you become very subtle. So whatever you learn along the way, you always remember that you're paying the price for it as a learning so that you become a better person. In your business and that's the way i deal with it so uh, i take it as a joke honestly i smile and i say i learned something new <laughs> i like this approach that uh, you know we need to pay a certain price you not know, to learn things in life and like you know the university tuition fees um i i'm going to share with you like one of my failure i would say without naming anyone um But uh, a few years ago, when I started being a makeup artist, so before I was an HR director, and uh, so I changed career like five years ago to become a makeup artist. And I think I was very yeah. lucky in, um, in, in, in working quite quickly with some luxury brands, with their VIPs, with some celebrities. Um, and for a few years ago, Again, you know, I was still young, like in my uh, as as a makeup artist. So, I was working on a big event for a very high end uh, luxury brand, and they invited all yeah. the VIPs in the region, uh, some royalties, and some celebrities. 
and there's this uh, there was this celebrity super nice like I think the nicest person that I've ever met like as a celebrity to be honest very kind you know I did her makeup and um, and and the poor like she was so sick at the night when I was when I was doing her trial before the big night um I finished doing her makeup I went home and I was like, yeah, well, I think, you know, it went fine. You know, I'm super excited for tomorrow night. That's going to be such a big night. And in the morning, uh, her assistant called me and she said, well, I'm really sorry, Laura, but um, she's not confirming you. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay, why? What, what happened? Well, because basically the trial you did was not the trial for the same makeup as what you were supposed to do for the big night. And I was like, yeah, that's true. But because, you know, she didn't feel right. And, and therefore I felt that I just had like to work like quickly, not really to do that, the same makeup and said, yeah, but there was like a brief, you know, we, we gave you kind of instructions, you know, to follow and, uh, and to, and to create exactly the same makeup. And for me, that was a big hit. That was such a big hit, like, you know, for my ego, I would say that it took me a few weeks now before recovering <laughs> from this. But, but on the other hand, on the other hand of, you know, what you're saying, you know, um, is it was indeed like a way to pay something to learn. So I pay something like to learn, learn sure. another thing. And, and um, and basically, what I learned from it is when you're giving given a brief on like a mood board, okay, or makeup to do, you just do exactly the same. Like you don't think about yeah. <laughs> about what the person know is uh, yeah. like the, the state of the person because basically what she wants is exactly the same makeup. And that was such an interesting yeah. um, experience, to be honest. So. Yeah, but that was hard. That was really hard at that time. <laughs> it is, like you said, you, you learn from these situations. Um, if that weren't, like, if, if this didn't happen with a certain situation that is a blessing in disguise, uh, you wouldn't have realized that, oh, you know, I do need to pay attention to more briefs. And I learned, you know, I learned the right way. I learned that sometimes you shouldn't follow your heart. You should follow a brief or maybe asking questions um, is something that you learn. Every person will, will take a different learning from every mistake that happens. But mistake is not a bad thing. It's a part of the learning process. It's part of the learning curve. People yeah. aren't human at the end of the day. We born to make mistakes. Yeah, Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I, I've talked about this, like, you know, to some people, but I've never made it like public, to be honest. So there it is. There, yeah, bravo! Yeah. <laughs> may, 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 yeah. Maybe one day I will uh, I will reveal like uh, who was the celebrity. But again, like she was the nicest person, uh, like super nice, super friendly, and um, and and very kind, very very kind. Um, so, do you recommend like people to talk about the failure? I mean, how? So you were saying that indeed, like a way to overcome them is like to understand that this is a price to pay to learn but is there like a time for people to wait before talking to other people just 
to making you know to making to making the failure a bit you know lesser in terms of feelings is my failure, is my question clear? like i said <laughs> yeah i i think i hope i i got i'm gonna answer it the right way um but you know if i if i'm not answering what you want me to answer just cut me off at any time <laughs> so so let me put it at this way um the emotion that you feel towards a certain situation is your perception of it. So some people might perceive, and I'm going to take based on your question, that small amount or a small percentage of people that perceive failure, something very negative, and the emotion that they get with that becomes very heavy on them. So it takes a toll on them. So that percentage of people is the people that I'm going to speak about. I'm not going to generalize about everybody else, you know? So let's say you're the, the person that's watching is the kind of person that, or maybe it will take you as an example that after that certain situation, it took you weeks till you managed to recover, you know, and maybe this is the first time you actually come out and you speak about it, which is a burden you carry around. So holding these emotions on for two weeks gets locked into your system and that causes stress points in your body, which causes later on illness, which causes big problems. Because what happens is, is when, you have any sort of negative emotion that's blocked within a certain memory because what happened with that celebrity, with that situation that you were put in, what happened was is that you took that memory and attached the emotion of whether anger, sadness, fear, uh, uh, fear, hurt, or guilt, one of these negative emotions was attached to that certain memory. So every time you recall that memory from your mind, what happens is the memory doesn't come out on its own from the hippocampus of the brain. The memory comes with everything that came with it, which is also the emotion. So every time you recall that uh, memory, you're actually recalling the emotion with it. And then you're putting it back in. And then you're doing that again. And you're putting it back in. And every time you do that, what you're actually doing to your body is that you're sending messages from your neurological system into your endocrine system of your body to produce high levels of cortisol into your bloodstream. Cortisol is a stress hormone that completely demolishes your immune system. 50% of your brain stops functioning and your muscles become weak because your body goes into fight or flight response. Now, every time you think about it, the thought of a memory that you recall that is attached to a negative emotion, this entire process happens which will lead to illnesses, sicknesses, problems uh, in your life. So if someone would want to deal with that, should they come out and speak about it? Is there a right time? I would say, of course, instantly. Why would you carry that pain with you and go and undergo your body under so much stress for all this time so that eventually you'll talk about it? There's no right time as in, okay, let's say three weeks is the right time or two weeks is, or two months is the right time. No, the right time is the minimum amount of time for you to go undergo stress. So if it happened the same day and you have a coach, pick up the phone and call the coach, figure out how to deal with it. Give yourself a day, give yourself maximum two days to kind of release the emotion, but then that's it. Move on. Having to go through these emotions on a day-to-day -day basis for a prolonged period of time will completely deteriorate your body, your skin. And if we're talking about beauty, the, you'll see people age when they stress. Their skin gets droopy. They get the black circles under their eyes. Um, you can tell when someone is stressed because it impacts their outer uh, look as well, not only the way they feel inside.
because everything happens inside out. And I really think the sooner the better. I, I hope that uh, answered the question that you were trying to get to. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm I'm not trying to get to any answer. You know, I, I want to have like your expertise and, and your view uh, uh, on it. Um, that's funny, you know, what you're saying about like the the stress and how it impacts you know, the skin, because I feel when looking back at some some of my selfies on my phone, like from five, six years ago, where I was under so much stress, I could see like, you know, um, my skin was looked, I feel like older than now and definitely like less glowy than now. Um, and, uh, and now though, you know, I can have some stress, you know, I can be tired, you know, like many things in life, you know, can happen like, you know, for, for, for anyone, but definitely the stress that I was on before has nothing to compare with what, or it like, it was higher before than now. And, and I can see like the difference, you know, in, in, on my skin. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that's the thing, girls, ladies out there, even men, you want your skin to glow? First step is relax. <laughs> Take a so, deep breath and relax. Talking about relaxation, uh, so you are you still doing uh, yoga nigra? Nidra, yes. Of Nidra. course. Uh, it's one of my favorite practices. Yeah. Yes. Nidra means sleep. Okay. It's in Hindi. So, yeah. so uh, what does it consist of? What, what do you do? And, and the question that I have as well is, um, how do you compare it with, with some Reiki um, session on, on, or, or approach? Because Reiki also, you know, help you okay. to go like deep you're not really sleeping but you're like in between like being awake and sleeping so i'm, I'm not sure if it is the same approach I'm okay yeah they're not relevant they're very different two different things completely so uh reiki is a source of energy healing that is usually done by a reiki healer so they would use the two physical body energies so a reiki healer would use his energy to kind of pull out the negative energy from the client that's at uh, doing the session. However, yoga nidra is, is a soul thing. It's a meditation that's guided towards himself. So nobody is getting close to you. There's no, um, there's no energy healing. However, of course, your energy changes and it heals um, within. So if I give you a brief about what yoga nidra is, nidra stands for sleep. And uh, the, the reason or what, you, what yoga nidra is, it's actually for people that know yoga, at the end of your yoga session, they usually do the shavasana position. Shavasana in Hindi means uh, dead. And that's not exactly a pleasant word, but <laughs> it actually means that. So they lay down in shavasana with their palms facing forward on their back. And they meditate the last five minutes of the class. Yoga nidra is an entire session of 40 minutes in that position. And it's a guided meditation, shifting your thoughts and mainly your brainwaves, not only your thought, but obviously your thought changes from one place to another and your focus shifts within your body. And it plays on the brainwaves of alpha and theta and beta, beta, alpha, theta. So these are the brainwaves of you becoming extremely alert, which is what we're in right now, which is the, uh, the beta uh, 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 neuro neurological activity of the brain. And then you have the alpha and then theta state. 
the theta state is like I'm sleeping, I'm dreaming, but I can hear your voice, which is what most adults are in. Most adults, their sleep is I can hear my alarm, you know, if it goes off. So I'm there, but not there. Alpha state is when you're daydreaming. Like when you're when you're sitting in your office and you're just like this and you're you kind of daze out, your brain waves go into alpha state. The the most deep one, which is not what you go into yoga nidra, is delta. Delta is when you find children uh, sleeping in the car. You take them to a wedding. <laughs> They'd still be asleep. You put them in the car. You carry them around. And that's what they call delta brainwaves. And that's complete knockout, which very rare you find adults going in. You know, the deep sleepers usually go into delta. So yoga nidra works on the beta, alpha, theta brainwaves. And as we go in and out of them, changing those brain waves through a guided meditation. It's, it's purely a guided meditation. What happens is those 20 minutes or 25 minutes is equivalent to four hours of quality sleep when you go in and out of these waves. So it's as if you've slept for four hours. It releases any pain in the body. So if you have any pain in your joint, you can scale it from one to 10. And after the session, you'll find an immediate difference. It will not completely disappear. However, you'd find it much less. It will allow you to ground yourself and feel much calmer. Of course, the more you meditate, the better it is for your beauty and your skin. And it also releases any, of course, like I said, pain it includes headaches and sinus problems, breathing problems. So you find a massive difference. But uh, mainly what I would say is, uh, enlightenment, pain release, and most importantly, quality sleep. So it re-energizes you. I practice it almost every day. So I do 20 minutes of yoga nidra just before like I go out, you know, like I'd be, I've come back from work and I'm really tired, but I do want to go out for dinner. So instead of taking a power nap, what I do is I do a session of yoga nidra. I completely fill in what I need for my body, guided my focus, you know, go into that Zen mode. And when I wake up, it's literally as if I've slept for four hours, glowing, energized, feeling great. And sometimes people do it at night and they just continue sleeping till the next day. <laughs> yeah. Um, so why, why would you, I mean, okay. So the, the effect of uh, a session, 20 minutes of yoga nidra, doesn't have the same impact of a 20 minute nap? No, 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 they're very different. They're very different. So when, when you go ahead and you, so if you, if I get the, I, I have it somewhere here, actually, I can show it to you. Uh, there's this machine that uh, measures the brain waves, the brain activity. So you can see the brain activity. If you were to measure right now, somebody that, you know, just lay down and take a nap, or if you were to do that, what happens is, is that the minute you close your eyes in order to take a nap, there, there are many different reasons. Either you're completely exhausted, so you just knock out, you know, and you just go into straight from beta to, or you maybe you were in alpha and you go straight into theta or delta. So there's no shift in brainwaves. You're going from one state to another. Or you're trying to take a nap because you're depressed and you want to stop thinking and you're feeling sad. So you just want to close your eyes. But reality is what's happening when you close your eyes. Your unconscious mind, all it's thinking about is, why is this happening to me? What's this? I'm so depressed. I'm so hurt. The focus is not within you. It's in your thinking process. When you're in your mind and in your head, your 
brain waves are always going to be in high beta frequency, not even in alpha or theta. So with yoga nidra, we're actually controlling the brainwave function of which state you're going into. So we shift you from alpha to theta, theta back to alpha, alpha back to theta, and then we bring you to beta. And that's not something you can consciously do when you want to take a nap. You know, you don't sit there and you go like, okay, how am I going to daydream, but then go sleep and then daydream again and then go sleep. It's not something you can do. So it really needs to be guided. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I, I have, I listen to it as well. Like I put the guided meditation on for me to do it. I don't close my eyes and expect to shift my brainwave just like that. You know, um, it would take a lot of practice to do that. Mm. So on, on your website, I've seen that um, uh, we can get some guided meditation, right? I mean, is it something like we can buy yeah. and then listen, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. And so these are guided meditations or guided meditations. Yeah. And uh, you get to keep them for life, you know, and practice it every day. Uh, and the more the merrier. So each each one is different for many different things, and they're all obviously great for you. So there's there's like the uh, hypoxic breathing session, um, which is, is uh, the Wim Hof method of breathing, yeah. and it's basically to put your state into a healing process. It's intensive breath work, which is fantastic for your skin, your health, your body, because your cells require oxygen. And then you have the yoga nidra sessions. You also have people that have uh, fear of flying and flights. So this, there's a session that, you know, audio, you plug it into your phone. And as you're sitting on the plane, just before you fly out, plug it in, listen, and you'll find that you're immediately relaxed as the plane takes off. So there's many different sessions that you can have and use for many different reasons. Amazing. When, when you were saying like doing the day, you know, if, if I want to, to do it every day, When is the best moment to to do uh, a yoga nidra session? Because you were saying that you know you come back from work and you're doing before going out in the evening. So is the evening the best, even if you're going out and you're going to have uh, a higher brain activity, or is it like in the morning, or is it before just going to sleep? When is the best time to have one? It's like saying, when is the best time to smile? <laughs> it's the same idea. Okay. All the time. <laughs> and when you wake up in the morning, if you want to put your mindset in that really good state, I would say go for a yoga nidra session or go for a breathing session. It pumps your body with blood. Mm. Back from work, do it again. Before you sleep, do it again. Why not? You know, when is a good time to smile? All the time. When is it a good time to meditate? All the time. And when is it a good time to actually take a long, deep breath? All the time. Of course, you can't do it all the time. So whenever you can, plug it in. If you got that 20 minutes, I, I recommend it all the time for corporates as well. Do it in the office. You know, you don't have to be laying down. Just go, go inside, sit down and just plug it in and do it. You know, it takes 20 minutes. So it would really shift your mindset. It's like, the more I get to relax, why not? Mm. Okay, so anytime. So that's uh, another thing that I'm going to add uh, onto my uh, meditation uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> learning process. 
uh, or learning curve. Uh, um, so, uh, Mace, another thing that I wanted to uh, to to talk about uh, today was uh, your experience um, as a breast cancer survivor. Um, what are the things that you learn from it? If there's anything, and and I don't know when you had it, you know, and and and, and when did you recover you know, from it? What did you learn from from having breast cancer? If there's anything to learn from it? Oh yes, there is <laughs> definitely. So I was diagnosed uh, this time last year. Okay. Uh, so June, it's very recent, just June or June six. Yeah, yeah, it's it's quite recent. Yeah, so I was diagnosed. I think about June six. I think something around that, uh, or either that or July six, maybe. Yeah, I think July, June. I don't know. I forgot. But anyway, somewhere around June 6th or July, either or, I was uh, diagnosed. And uh, obviously, when I first got my diagnosis, I was alone. So uh, the first thing that popped in my head was my family. How am I going to tell my family? Because obviously, the people that love you the most get impacted the most. And in my head, I was like, I don't know how to deal with this. you know. And I remember telling the doctor, I said, well, the minute she told me, she said, you have, uh, because I knew I had like a cyst or a tumor at the beginning because they had to biopsy. So that was fine. Like I, I wasn't panicking when I went and did a biopsy. It was okay. You know, people do biopsies. So she called me and she said, I got your results back. She said, one of them is benign. And I said, okay, cool. She said, the other one is cancer. So my first reaction was, are you joking? She's like, no, I wouldn't joke about something like that. <laughs> the other one is cancer. So I paused, like I literally went from the chair, I went back and I just looked and I said, shit, what am I going to tell my mom and dad? It's like, I did something wrong, you know, <laughs> like, what am I going to tell my mom and dad? <laughs> How are they going to take this? So I said, okay, before I think of my mom and dad, let's, let's just go back to where I am. And I told her, okay, cool. So what's the solution? And she got very confused. She said, do you realize I just told you you have cancer? I said, yeah, I know that. I said, what's the solution? Where am I? Stage one, two, three, where, where am I at? You know, let's get this picture clear. What's next? And she was like confused. Like, why am I not crying? Why am I not panicking? And she said, okay, are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. I need a solution. I need to know what's next. And she said, okay, we can talk about the details. There's a lot of tests you need to run and I can give you all you know, obviously what stage and everything uh, along the way, but are you sure you're okay? I said, you know what? At least I don't have diabetes or cholesterol. That's worse than cancer. And she said, you know what? <laughs> you're actually right. But you'd only know that if people are actually educated about it. So I think what really helped me the most is educating myself about what cancer is. Sh types, shapes, forms, you know, breast cancer which is almost the easiest kind of cancer to get rid of. One of the easiest, not the easiest, one of the easiest types of cancer. Painful process, but not the end of the world. As in literally, how, diabetes is worse. How did you so, find out about it? It was, it was just an early check. Like I go for an annual check. I'm in my 30s and I've been doing it since I was in my 20s. Mm -hmm. I get an annual check just for the sake of getting an annual check. And the only year I didn't get a check was 2020. 
because the hospitals were closed. So 2019, I actually got checked. There was nothing. So, uh, which is weird because it takes seven years for a tumor to grow. So somewhere around these seven years, somebody missed it, <laughs> you know? And I went to this doctor and they found it. Um, and at that time it took, I told him, I said, okay, let's do all the tests and I'm not going to tell my family. Let me be a hundred percent sure. And to get my understanding to where I am. And once I get the big picture, I'll let them know, which is what happened. It wasn't, uh, I, I was, uh, I would try to take everything lightly. So every time I go in for a scan, I was always singing. I was always jolly with the nurses. And I made sure that everybody around me was not allowed to pity me. I said, if anything, we celebrate the breasts that we had for all these years. And then we celebrate letting them go. So I actually did kind of throw a party of letting them go (laughs) just before my surgery. And I thought maybe celebration would be the best way of dealing with this. Uh, Celebrating the fact that it's not the end of the world. Um, I found it sooner, better than later, you know, and it's, it's meant to be, I guess, some way or another, because I've done everything right by the book. You want to say anti-cancer juices, smoothies, food, healthy lifestyle, whatever you want to call it, but it got me, it got me. So, and that's, that's the thing with cancer. You don't really know. I lost you, Mace. I lost you. I cannot hear you anymore. (laughs) It happens sometimes. (laughs) I'm sure it's going to come back. If you touch your... Uh, Let's see. Can you... Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So what I was telling you is that... uh, yeah, I, I lost my line of thoughts. I, I was setting you. Now, so you were saying that, you know, you had the party to let them go and that, you know, you were doing like everything, you know, fine. And the cancer just got to you. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, you can live the, you'd ask yourself, why me? You know, I did everything right. Why me? And I realized we'll never get an answer to that. So you can just drop the question of why me. Whoever's asking yeah. themselves that question, just drop it. You know, you don't need an answer to why me. Uh, it's about moving forward. So I took it one day at a time. I had rules and everybody was obliged to go by these rules. My rule was one day at a time. So my doctor knew she was not allowed to tell me what would happen in three months. Because it was like, you know, doctors usually tell you after three months, you need to get chemotherapy, radiation. And I was like, okay, listen, stop talking to me in three months. Tell me today. Let's take it one day at a time. We'll get there. We'll deal with it when we deal with it. So this is what I did. I had, I told all my friends, no pity, smile. It's okay. You know, it's just a journey. This is what I did. I, I I was always I was you know trying to keep it as light as possible. Uh, convinced myself that this is you know cons- considered cosmetics. You know, girls and ladies do cosmetic surgery all the time, so just consider it cosmetic. And the biggest lesson, actually, my last surgery, I've had I had three surgeries so far, maybe one more to go. So a total of four surgeries. It's it's not. I'm not saying it's an easy journey. It's definitely hard. You know, and obviously the radiation, the treatment, the medication that comes with it, it's, it's physically exhausting. But the only thing that got me out of it is my mindset and my purpose. So the beginning of the podcast, we spoke about purpose and the reason and that passion that I have to wake up every morning 
that I want to live. I want to go out. I want to go back to the beach. I want to help. I want to go on TV. Didn't allow me. It's like, I will not stay in bed. I will not be sick. I refuse it. I need to come back. So that purpose is what helped me wake up and become stronger and spread that love and happiness and awareness. So really, it's just taking it one day at a time. And after all these surgeries, my last one was less than a month ago. I think it was about two and a half, three weeks. Three weeks ago was my last uh, surgery. And the biggest lesson I've learned from, and I'm sure that every person that has an illness, whether cancer or diabetes or any illness that they have, every person has a takeaway from it, a different learning. It's not the same for everyone. Different experience for everyone as well, even for cancer patients. The biggest learning I had in that process was the art of letting go. And I will not forget that lesson. I, I cherish it with me. I realized being attached to anything brings you down. So whether being attached to a body part or being attached to activities. So I was attached to everything. I was attached to obviously my breasts. I was attached to my lifestyle, which is waking up at 5 a.m., doing sports for two hours, which I was you know, I haven't been doing that for over, over a year now because of my diagnosis. I wasn't, I'm not allowed. Uh, and I realized how sad I got, how hurt I got. Of course I had days. Don't think I was smiling and jolly all these, all, 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 the whole year. Of course I had days where I was pouring in tears and I was in pain. But when I realized that all these tears and the pain that I went through was because I was attached to my lifestyle and my, my body, I said, worth it, just let it go. And when I learned to let it go, I said, okay, you know what? I can live without it. With or without it, I can live. I will survive, you know, with or without it. And when I realized, yeah, I could survive and I live a great life and still go out and have fun without the breast or without the paddle boards or without this or without the usage of my full arms, I realized that it's so much lighter, so much lighter. When I let go. So I let go of everything after I did that. I let go of my attachment to everything. So I, and I realized the minute you let go of your attachment to things, whether materialistic or whether emotional, even emotional attachment is really draining to people or to things. You really take that deep breath in and you, you're like, oh my God, I feel so much lighter. So my takeaway from all of this is to all the people listening, being attached to things in life sometimes might drain you and letting them go would be the best thing you can ever do so learn to let go of things and trust me you can live without it you know you will survive without the person without the thing without the car without the money you will survive you know just one day at a time so that was my takeaway from uh from of course there's a lot of things i took away but this was my favorite at my main takeaway from the whole experience that I went through. So I believe that you let go a lot of things, uh, even like in terms of, you know, approaching things, approaching life, but, uh, and, and this is what, uh, uh, what this experience you know, brought you uh, for, for your life. How, how did that impact the way that you were seeing yourself, you know, as a woman or um, your femininity? Ah, 
I won't lie to you. Uh, I'll be very honest. Um, after my second surgery, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was after my second surgery. Even after this one, right now. <laughs> but either or. I had a hard time accepting the way I looked. Like, uh, it was, I was not accepting it. It was just not me. You know, mm. It's not mine. It's not me. I don't like it. I'm ugly. But that lasted just for a day, <laughs> two days, maybe a week, you know, but it didn't last long. So I, yeah, I didn't accept it. I did not, I was not okay with it. Um, I was not comfortable in clothes either you know, because I just, it's just not me. So I realized that if I can continue thinking that way, it's not going to serve me. So I need to embrace and love myself for who I am today and what I have today. You know, and be grateful and, and say, you know, I'm grateful, yeah, for, for, for the fact that I can still live a healthy life uh, and still look decent on the outside. And uh, these scars are just a reminder of the path and journey that I had. So when I gave some sort of sense to it, I, you know, managed to start accepting myself. I started dressing up again. I started wearing dresses and, you know, uh taking care of the way i look and uh and i feel fine i just it's really about self-acceptance here and i think it's uh the shock of when you first see yourself for who you were and what you've become it's only normal you know for any person they just you know this is not my body this is not mine but the minute you accept it and you let go <laughs> you uh you it's okay you know i guess it's okay and it's all about if the people around you choose not to accept it, it's their problem. Mm. You know, I had this issue where I thought, what if someone doesn't accept me the way I am? But then I realized, you know, it doesn't matter. Actually, if you don't accept me, it's your loss. It's not mine. You know, as long as I accept myself, that's the most important part. So that that's how I dealt with my, the feminine side, I guess. Do you, do you do this on your own or you, or do you get help as well from someone from, um, I don't know, a doctor or a therapist or another coach or an expert, I don't know, a specialist? Of course, of course, of course, of course. Every coach needs a coach. Yeah. <laughs> of course, uh, spoke to my coaches many times, you know, whether it was the, the magnificent trainer that trained me, Robert Simich. Uh, I'm really grateful for him, honestly. Uh, and even one of my favorite coaches also, uh, Marco, uh, remarkable <laughs> Marco, uh, we trained together and, and actually he knew a bit later after he knew about after my second surgery, I think he knew or after my third one, but, but he was the one that really helped me through the feminist of self-acceptance. And I knew that I was in trouble. So I picked up the phone and I called him and I said, I need your help. I need to see you. So it's about acknowledging that you're in trouble. It's step number one. The minute you acknowledge you have a problem, solving it becomes easy. But if you deny that you have a problem, you live with it stuck inside your body for many years. So, of course, definitely seek help for sure. Yeah, I think seeking help, you know, is, uh, is, uh, is really important. Sometimes it's not easy, as you said, like, you know, just to acknowledge that you're facing an issue um, and then to seek help. But uh, uh, 
Yeah, this is this is definitely you no know, one way because we cannot stay like you know on your own you know when facing you know uh, yeah uh, this uh, or, or any other situation to be honest. But um, um, so you were talking about your uh, paddle. Um, I don't know if we can call this like a business or experience, but yes, did you did you decide to create be amazing? And first, no, I love the name. I love the name, be amazing, um, or be yeah. amazing. I don't, I don't know how you would pronounce it, but um, that's right. <laughs> um, did you decide yeah. to create this at the same time? Like, uh, or when when did you uh, when did you start be amazing? No, be amazing. I started it two years ago, okay. designing it and doing the products. But the minute I got all the boards and I started, you know, to I wanted to do the launch campaign was the day I got diagnosed. So it was kind of put on hold, you know. Um, I did the best I could just before my surgery. I tried to like do the shoots and get the get the Instagram page up and running and the website. Like quickly, I have surgery <laughs> before, you know, let me do this while I still have the energy. And then after my surgery, just like, okay, I was the doctors were like, forget it. You know, you're not, because it's all upper body and it's all about weights. It's like, you know, you could say goodbye to that for quite some time. Uh, and it's honestly my happy place. So uh, I did, I, I got it back and we were run, I'm running classes right now. I mean, I'm not physically doing the classes, but I'm there. Uh, just being on the board or seeing people on my branded boards and seeing them happy just brings me joy. It's as if I'm sitting on the board. So it's okay. But yeah, I'm back and I'm focused on it. And maybe hopefully in a month or two, I can be back on the board myself. But in the meantime, there's classes, there's paddles that are happening, community paddles. So whoever loves stand-up paddling or wants to like release, there's yoga sessions that are done on it, yoga nidra sessions that are done on it um and uh zumba classes that are done on it too so that's uh that's actually that's actually happening this weekend um it's exciting it's it's my happy place it's a passion project yeah the, the zumba session may be like a super fun and uh, quite challenging yeah. <laughs> it's very challenging i must tell you it is <laughs> it is so where where is it where is be amazing so it's, it's in different locations, you know. So next week I have it in the Palm at a beach club. Sometimes it's at the open beach on Jumeirah. Every week I change locations and I keep it a variety depending on the weather, depending on what classes we're doing, if we're kind of going out for a big paddle, if we're just doing a rounded one in the pool. It's a bit hot in Dubai right now, you know. It's in the middle of the summer. So I'm kind of approaching swimming pools a bit more uh, because it's just too hot. And uh, soon enough when I'm able to paddle again, you know, inshallah, uh, hopefully. Um, what what I usually do is 5 a.m. club, so sunrise paddles. And that's usually fun to do in August because sunrise, obviously, it's not that hot. Uh, and we go out from 5.30 till about 7.30 in the morning. 7.30, we're back. And we get in the car just before it gets extremely hot and we go back home. So do we need to have our so, own paddle uh board or are you bringing this no i provide the paddles you provide i provide the paddles amazing so uh mace we are uh, getting to uh towards the end of this episode um as we're as this is you know the the podcast uh name now is beauty s'il vous plaît you know we talk about beauty 
um, obviously today it was like a different angle. Um, but do you have any skincare or beauty routine that you follow on a daily basis? So, uh, moisturize, moisturize, moisturize. <laughs> I don't have a certain product that I'm, you know, religiously attached to, but, uh, I would say sunblock and moisturizer. These are the two key items. And I'm not the kind of person that applies, uh, heavy makeup. I mean, even though I work in TV, but, uh, on the days that I don't work, I don't touch foundation on my face and I allow the skin to breathe as much as I can. And if I'm done with TV, I wipe it off immediately so I can allow it to breathe. So, uh, I guess the tip is never sleep with your makeup on, never go to the gym with your makeup on, you know, also because, uh, it's just horrible for your pores. And also one of the things that are my favorite kind of face treatments is ice. So I get a bowl of, uh, a, uh you can even see it on my Instagram somewhere down there. During lockdown, I used to share all these tips of skincare. And uh, I get a bowl, fill it with water, and full of ice. So the water is the trick here so that you don't burn your skin. And I dip my face inside the bowl of water of ice for a minute. Obviously, if I need to catch my breath, I'll breathe and I'll go back in. But I'll put the timer in for a minute. And that helps with closing the pores, activating the blood circulation, also tightening the skin, uh, giving it a nice glow. And it also does help with the inflammation of acne. So whoever has a problem with acne immediately reduces the inflammation by just icing it. So ice is one of my favorite go-tos and moisturizing and sunblock. So these are the three tips that I give for skincare that I personally use um and uh and yeah and also the whole makeup uh, tip that please please for all girls because i see it a lot i see them going to the swimming pool with foundation and makeup and and to the gym and these are not the places you should have makeup on <laughs> you should allow your skin to breathe and be protected by sunblock in these places so yeah, that's pretty much it is there any one beauty product that you always have with you Lip balm. <laughs> I always have Labello with me. Always. And I like, it's my go-to Labello. Um, uh, it's my go-to. Well, actually, there's a lot of brands that are nice, uh, but I haven't tried, obviously, all of them. But Labello, because it's like easy to pick up from the pharmacy and from, you know, off the counter in a gas station. And uh, I, 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 it's my go-to. Like, I always have to have my lip balm with me. Yeah, I think this is one of the products that, you know, is the most popular, uh, popular, you know, uh, within my guests, even me, I cannot leave the house you know, without having my lip balm, you know, with me in my bag, because I'm always like, I have yeah. to have my lips like moisturized at any time. <laughs> True. <laughs> True. <laughs> Makes you feel better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who or, or where do you get your inspiration from, Mace? Everyone, everyone inspires me, honestly. Uh, life inspires me. Obviously, the first thing that goes in is my mom and my dad. They're the first two people that inspire me because they're, they're my biggest supporters, you know. from They're the ones that made me who I am today from their programming, their parenting, their guidelines and everything. So it helped me become the character I am today. So I'm very grateful and thankful for them. But if we're talking about inspiration, I get inspired every day by everyone. 
So uh, I'm inspired by you. I'm inspired by uh, people that, you know, create their content on social media, the people that write their books, the people that say their speeches, presenters, gardeners. Uh, construction workers, everybody has a story to tell. And behind every story, there's a big inspiration. Mm-hmm. And that's actually what I podcast in Arabic. It's pause with mace. Uh, in Arabic, it says, I'm nice in English, it's pause with mace. And every episode is an inspirational story. And, and I give you the wisdom behind that inspiration. But, but, you know, you can't, I can't limit it to one person. But I do love Oprah, so I have to give it to her. She's like my idol. <laughs> I love Oprah. So shout out to Oprah. Yeah. Her and Ellen. Her and Oprah and Ellen are my two favorite uh, TV hosts. So I would give it up to them. Mm. Oh, uh, your, um, your podcast, is it on a weekly basis that you're... Uh, yeah, every doing? Sunday. Every Sunday, yeah. Okay. And yeah. Uh, you're having a guest as well on your podcast? No, no, there's no, no guest in my podcast. It's uh, just purely me telling you a story, then telling you the, the wisdom behind it. Because sometimes when we listen to stories and other people's life stories, they're so inspirational that they impact us immediately. So that there's an instant change when you listen to somebody else's story. So this is why I, at every episode, I have a different story. So it doesn't matter what episode you listen to, or you listen to, you can choose episode 50, episode one, and they would be irrelevant because each one is a different story. I think now there's about 54 episodes, but. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, I, I, I don't speak Arabic. I'm sorry, Shamino. I've been in the E for more than 15 years now and I don't speak <laughs> Arabic. I should get subtitles on my YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah. But I do. I mean, like, let's it wasn't exhausting for the physical effort. I would do one in English and in Arabic, but you know, obviously, it's very time-consuming and coming up with the content and translating it to different. To the, yeah, it's uh, maybe one day, someday, if I really have the time that I can spare for an English podcast, I would do the same in English. But in the meantime, I'm going to stick to this one in Arabic. <laughs> Definitely, and you should. I mean, I would love to do my podcast in Arabic, you know, as well, or, you know, some, some episode, you know, from time to time. Um, Mace, who would you, who would you like to, to see uh, as a next guest uh, in, um, on Beauty, s'il vous plaît, uh, show podcast? Oprah. Oprah. <laughs> okay, I'm going to manifest <laughs> this. <laughs> Ellen, can you get Ellen on the show? <laughs> It's a really good question, honestly, you're asking me. Uh, All these women out there, they're so inspirational. But the first name, I mean, I was going to tell you Suraya, but I think you already got Suraya. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would say Sara Al-Madani. Oh, yes. Sir. Sara Al-Madani, definitely. She's a power horse. Uh, I give it up to that lady. I, me and Sara go way back, actually. I've known Sara since we were in school together. So uh, I, really, amazing, I really yeah. saw Sara. I saw Sarah since she was a teenager. We both loved Backstreet Boys. We lived our teenage days. And I saw her evolve. And I see today the Sarah Al-Madini that she's become. And I see the dreams she had back when she was 16. And how these dreams turned into realities. And it's a nonstop you know, uh, journey for her. And I also see 
the people that look at Sara, they go like, yeah, like everything has come to her. Like she didn't work on herself. It's like easy, you know, lucky, which is not only about Sara, but they said it about many different people. And I smiled. I said, it's funny because I actually watched the journey and I've seen it grow. And I do know a little bit about her story. You know, of course she can tell you more about it, but especially when you speak about beauty within beauty of motherhood as well, beauty about entrepreneurship, beauty of wisdom. I would, I would say that I think Sarah Madani would be a juicy, very good podcast guest. <laughs> I would give it up to her. I do love that girl. She's, she's, a, she has a piece of my heart, honestly. Yeah. She's a, <clears throat> I, um, I, I saw her once you know, at a conference uh, talking about her journey as an entrepreneur and it was like fascinating and, you know, uh, the fact that she built a business then she lost everything and then she built like another one and it's constant and, and yeah. it's very inspirational um, yes. and, uh, and kind person as well. She's very kind. Yes. Mace, where can we find you? Uh, how can we reach out to you? So uh, I do have a public number that people can reach out to me on WhatsApp or phone call. Phone call, maybe I'm not that reachable, but there is a there is a WhatsApp number that's on my Instagram page at Mace Pamant. Uh, you can definitely reach out by email if you can't get me on WhatsApp or on the phone, which is ask at maceapamant.com. Or if you want anything for the boards, there's info at bmacing.com. Um, I'm very easy to reach. You are. <laughs> I'm a very reachable person. I'm very easy to reach. You know, you have me on all social media platforms, whether it's Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, uh, LinkedIn. I'm around. You know, just write me some Hamad and I'm sure you'll find me somewhere. But uh, reaching me, uh, usually by the fastest way of reaching me is either by phone or by email because that's always with me. Uh, and I think I can get back to the people as soon as I can. Mace, thank you so much uh, for being thank with you. us today. Uh, it's been such an interesting conversation we had today, inspirational in many ways. Um, I mean, I've there's one thing that I've learned today, or two things. One is we pay a certain price to learn in life yeah. and also to let go of things. Yes. Yes. Uh, and I think this is the way to grow, to be honest. Personally, you live much in life. Yeah. Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah I can I hear you. Know. Okay. Oh, I thought you paused. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, so thank you so much. Um, I cannot wait this uh, episode like to to be to be out to to air um and uh and thank you again thank you so much love and this has been an absolute pleasure having this chit chat with you um and i really hope that i could be an added value to your lovely podcast i love the name of your podcast i love the message you're trying to send and i wish for nothing but beauty for everyone inside out thank you mace thank you so much Thank you. Merci beaucoup. <laughs> Merci. Thank you so much for joining me in this episode today. If you enjoy it, 
please rate it with five stars, leave a comment, and share it with at least two of your friends. This will help the podcast to be more visible and high in the rank. I cannot wait to have you in my next episode to talk more about beauty. In the meantime, take care of yourself and remember, be your own kind of beautiful.